Good morning, everybody. Is my voice better than it was last week? Good. I hope it stays that way through the rest of the service. If it doesn't, listen even more carefully, okay? But I want to say good morning to everybody. What a great Easter season we've had as we've been reminded of the hope that we have in Christ. Uh, And it's a blessed morning to be together, isn't it? We're here together, and there's been Sundays over the last couple of years where we couldn't be together, and so I'm so thankful that we can be together. Last week, again, we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus and the hope that we have in that resurrection. We celebrated the fact that death had no power over Jesus, and because we belong to Jesus, death has no power over us, right? Amen. Amen. And throughout this series, Hope is Here, we have seen how Jesus brings us hope in many different situations. Today we're going to see how Jesus gives hope to the survivors. So after Jesus rose from the grave and he was with his disciples, he then ascended back to the Father. How would those disciples move on with their lives. They were survivors of the tumultuous events surrounding Jesus' death. But now that they had survived all of that, how would they fulfill the work he called them to accomplish without him? You know, one of the greatest uh, survivor stories I've ever read or heard is that of Louis Zamperini. Anybody here familiar with Louis Zamperini? Um, He had had been an Olympic runner, a distance runner in the Berlin Olympics, just when he was a teenager. And his hopes to go to the Tokyo Olympics, which would be the next one around the corner, were dashed when World War II broke out. He joined the army and was a bombardier on a B-24 out in the Pacific Theater. While he and his crew were doing a search for another plane that had been lost, their own plane developed some engine trouble and it crashed into the ocean. Eight of the 11 crew members died in the crash. Louis and the other survivors drifted on the ocean for 47 days on a raft. They were in shark-infested waters with no food and no water. They were able to catch some birds as they uh, flew by and, and kill them and occasionally kill a fish, but, I mean, they were just wasting away. When rain would come, that's the only source of water they had, they would catch as much of it as they could and drink it. They had no idea where the raft was drifting off to, and eventually one of those survivors would die, leaving Louis and one more. They prayed that someone would rescue them. And on the 47th day, their prayer was answered, but not necessarily in the way they thought. A boat appeared, but their rejoicing turned to terror when they realized It was a Japanese boat. Their raft had uh, drifted thousands of miles into Japanese territory. 
The Japanese took them as captives, and for two years, they were POWs surviving horrendous torture and mental abuse at the hands of their captors. One in particular singled Louis out. They called him the bird. And when it became known that Louis was an Olympic athlete, the abuse just intensified. Somehow, he survived all of this. And when the war was over, he returned home. But the effects of his torment continued to take him into some very dark places. He would marry, and the couple would have a child, but he battled PTSD. They didn't know what PTSD was after World War II. You know, back then, men were just supposed to suck it up and deal with it. But all of that rage and that bitterness that he felt would lead him into alcoholism. He had nightmares of the bird coming after him. He wanted to track down the bird and torture him and kill him. But the alcoholism and the rage and the anger were really destroying his own family. His wife was ready to leave him when a Billy Graham crusade came through Los Angeles. She invited him to go. But he was so embittered towards God, he didn't want to go. He reluctantly went just to appease her the first night. But he left as Graham gave the invitation that night. And then the second night, she invited him to go, and surprisingly, he went. And as Graham gave the invitation, he got up to run out, but something stopped him. His heart melted to the message, and he went forward and accepted Christ. Lauren Hildebrand, the author of the biographical book on Louis, uh, entitled Unbroken, and this is in my top five list. So if you want to read a good book, this is a great book. She wrote, He was no longer the worthless, broken, forsaken man that the bird had stricken or striven to make of him. In a single silent moment, his rage, fear, humiliation, and hopelessness had fallen away. That morning, he believed he was a new creation. Louis Zamperini survived his ordeal in the open ocean. He survived the ordeal in a prisoner of war camp. He survived when many of his friends did not survive. But the trauma and the pain drove him to alcohol and to nearly losing his family. Hope came when he gave his life to Christ. Louis would spend the rest of his life serving God and trying to make a difference in other people's lives. And he was also able to forgive the bird and release all of that bitterness. Friends, surviving does not always mean that life is going to be great. We need hope even after surviving. You know, as you read through the Bible, it is full of stories of survival, isn't it? Just think, Mary Magdalene survived demon possession. Mary and Martha survived their brother's death. Noah survived the flood. Lot survived Sodom and Gomorrah. Joseph survived his brothers. And then he survived false imprisonment. Moses survived Pharaoh trying to kill the babies. And then he would survive his own obstinate people. 
Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they survived Babylonian exile and uh, living under the rule of an ungodly culture. Rahab survived the fall of Jericho. But today we want to focus on the disciples who survived the death and the ascension of Jesus. Now I feel certain that there are survivors here today. Maybe you survived some terrible disease like cancer or heart disease. Maybe you are the survivor of some tragic accident or possibly the survivor of addiction. It could be that a loved one has passed away and you're struggling to survive their loss. Some have survived war and through that the loss of friends as well. Most of us here could say that in some way we've survived the attacks of Satan and the temptations that we've struggled with and we're here today in the presence of Jesus. But the problem is that we are often unsure how to respond after we've survived. How can we get up every morning when we feel that, the pain of that loss? How, how do we repair the reputation we created for ourselves when we were struggling? How can we focus on the mission of Christ when our hearts are still besieged by thoughts of the past? And the answer, friends, in a word, is hope. We have to have hope, like Heidi mentioned this morning in the opening comments. Last week, we saw hope for the doubter. Jesus revealing himself to Thomas. Thomas had doubted, but when he saw Jesus, he was fully convinced after he met Jesus again. Today, we want to see how the disciples reacted after Jesus' ascension. Now, I want you to think about it. The resurrection gave those disciples hope after their hearts had been ripped out when Jesus was crucified and buried in that tomb. And then he rose and hope was restored to them. And then, after he was with them for a while, Jesus ascended back to the Father. And once again, Jesus left them behind. They had survived his death. They had survived his burial. And then they had gotten their hope back and now Jesus is leaving again. But how would they deal with Jesus' physical absence? So this is the big idea for today. Jesus brings hope for the survivors who maintain their focus on him. And friends, this is key. Whatever you've survived, whatever you're going through, you have to maintain your focus on Jesus. The first point I want to mention to you today is that we need to maintain our focus in order to maintain our hope. Jesus had challenged his disciples with the mission of making disciples throughout the world. You might remember back in Matthew 28, 20, where he told them to go into all the world and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But then he gave them a promise in verse 20. He said, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus promised the disciples that he would be with them to the very end of the age. A promise. 
And yet then Jesus left, right? He left again. We believe Jesus wasn't being dishonest. Uh, it is true that Jesus was with them in the presence of the Holy Spirit who dwells in all of us as believers. Jesus is with us even now, but not in a physical sense. When Jesus ascended, he challenged his disciples to do the work that he had put them here to do. As he was going up into the sky, you remember, and Heidi mentioned that this morning, the angel appeared to them. Chuck, can you tell us the words? <laughs> he was our angel. He did a great job. I will put that on you, my brother. Um, but in Acts 1.11, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. I think the angel was basically telling them, hey, look, Jesus is coming back again, so you need to go ahead and get to work. Do what he's told you to do. Stop just standing around looking into the sky. They had to keep focused on the promise that Jesus was with them in spirit, and he was coming back again. That fact would continue to give them hope. No matter what people would do to them, they maintained that focus. No matter what the world would throw at them, they knew they would see Jesus again. In fact, they knew Jesus died. He rose again. They saw him again. And they knew they saw him ascend to the heavens. And they knew that he was going to come back again. This was as certain as anything in their life. As we deal with our own losses, surviving our own tragedies, keep that faith. You need to have that same certainty. You know Jesus rose again. You know he ascended. You know he's coming back. And you know he's got promises for you. When someone isn't with us in the physical sense, we, do we have the hope and the peace of believing that we will see them again? Focus on that hope. Focus on what God has in store for you tomorrow or even the next day. And then our second thought today is this. We need to find a purpose which will help to strengthen our hope. As the disciples worked to build the Lord's church, they didn't have a lot of time to worry about the fact that Jesus wasn't physically with them, but they could see that he certainly was with them in spirit. Look in Acts 2, beginning in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. They could see the power of the Holy Spirit in the work that they were doing. Those miraculous things that were taking place. People responding to their message. People loving each other like they had never loved each other before. People's lives were being changed. The church was growing. As they worked, they could sense the presence of Jesus. They poured themselves into the work of the Lord. 
So friend, if you are a survivor, I believe it will help you to pour yourself into something that is bigger than yourself. Find something that has meaning and purpose and work towards that goal. I think the worst thing that you can do is to do nothing. It won't help us to feel sorry for ourselves or to focus on what we don't have. We have to focus on what we do have and the opportunities that still exist. Recently, uh, my friends Jay and Cheryl Banks moved into our community. I'm not going to have them stand up, but they're here this morning. You may want to talk to them when service is over, just to double-check my story, okay? But Cheryl is a clinical social worker who helps people deal with symptoms of depression, anxiety, grief or loss, illness, and trauma. Um, I asked Cheryl if she could give me her expert opinion about the need to find some purpose when dealing with loss or struggles. And here are some thoughts that she shared with me. Having purpose in life is essential to our physical well-being and our emotional health. Just as each part of our body has a purpose, so do we. One can only imagine the sense of grief, loss, and trauma as the disciples witnessed the horrible torture of our Lord on the cross. Together, they witnessed proof of our risen Savior and found encouragement and strength supporting each other in the commandment to go and preach to all the nations. During initial evaluations of my clients, this is Cheryl speaking, individuals who report having a sense of purpose and meaning are better equipped to handle life stressors such as grief, and loss. Over 95% of my clients who report symptoms of depression and anxiety describe having little or no connectivity such as a social support or faith in God and not affiliated with a church or organization within their community. Those unable to pinpoint their purpose in life report feeling hopeless, despair, and disconnected. Those who report feeling connected and having purpose describe feeling a higher sense of self-esteem and empathy for others. In psychotherapy, I usually assess for interests, talents, and offer suggestions to help my client feel connected. Certainly, number one is assessing their spirituality or belief in God and his purpose for us as his children. As you would expect in all cases, those who do not believe in God feel less connected and increased isolation. We all have the same father. We live in the same world, require all the same essentials such as food, water, air, and feelings of belonging. We recognize that we are part of a bigger picture. Next, joining others by offering to help you using our talents, which is our uniqueness as members of one body, we are all essential 
workers. And she shared this example of a 90-year-old female who was unable to attend weekly worship opportunities with her local church family. Uh, she feels that she has no purpose. There was increased desperation and depression and feelings of isolation. So Cheryl's approach was to encourage her to feel connected by using her talent of writing. She enjoys getting cards in the mail. I propose that she begin a card ministry within her congregation. She is provided with a list of those on the prayer list, birthday, anniversary list. Her church provides stamps and cards and stationery. My patient reports after one month increased feelings of belonging and purpose and decreased depression as she continues to work within her congregation and communicate with others. Every member has a purpose and a part. Some individuals require coaxing to participate due to low self-esteem or insecurities. As God's children, we should look for opportunities to involve others in our work. Church membership and attendance helps us to stay connected and work together to love others throughout our community and world. And she made this comment, I see this happening at Christ's church. Thank you, Cheryl, for that input. It is true, friends. If you are a survivor but you're struggling, find that higher purpose and focus on what God has planned for you. But there's still that need for connection, which Cheryl mentioned in her comments. And this brings us to our third point. We need a fellowship to help us hold on to hope. Those disciples had a shared experience. We aren't privy to the discussions that they had with each other. I can only imagine that over the years, they might often reflect back on their time with Jesus. Wouldn't you think so? As friends would gather and they'd sit and talk and say, do you remember that time? Do, do you remember when he did this? You know, just think about those little conversations. But for them, that shared experience would have been a very powerful thing. They could see that they totally understood what the other person was going through or feeling. They could say that uh, they were hurt and scared and anxious and yet hopeful. In verses 44 through 47 of our text, we read, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Now that word fellowship is from the Greek word koinonia in Scripture. And it literally means to have in common. And it carries the meaning of community. Much like we do when we sit and talk about the memories of our loved ones gone by, uh, as we experience similar situations, finding people who have shared experience can be so helpful. Today, we would call this support groups, right? There is something called AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, but there are also many other different groups, some 12-step groups, some more spiritually focused. 
There are groups for veterans who can come together and share experiences with each other that veterans have found to be helpful. There are groups called divorce care and grief care. And I want to say this. I, I know that we've had several members of our church family who have experienced grief. And I, I really think it's time for us to have another session of that grief care ministry. If any of you feel like you have a need and a desire to be a part of something like that, let me know because I would like to see us start that up again. There are parenting groups, groups that deal with the, the survivors of abuse. The definition of a support group is a group that provides an opportunity for people to share personal experiences and feelings, coping strategies, or firsthand inf information about diseases and or treatments. If you're dealing with trying to find hope after surviving, consider finding a group that can help you. But also understand that not only will you be helped, but you could also be helping someone else. That may be part of that higher purpose that God is calling you to. In that text, we are told that basically all the needs of that early church were met. That is the definition of a healthy church. We are here together to help each other. And we have a lot of shared experiences. Our problem is that very often we're not honest about what we're going through with other people. If we can learn to be honest with each other, we can discover that we're not alone in this. There are others who have been through what we've been through. And there is real value in being connected to the body of Christ. And I hope that you are connected. And if you're not connected, I would really encourage you to find a small group, a Bible study. I encourage you to get involved in that. And finally, the key to all this is that we must rely on the Holy Spirit to hold uh, on to hope. Uh, do not discount the power of the Holy Spirit to help you through the roughest times. The Holy Spirit helped those early disciples. In fact, they realized where their strength came from. It was the Spirit of God working in and through those disciples when they went out to preach on the day of Pentecost. The people could all hear their messages in their own languages. And after that, it was the Spirit who continued to move through them as the church began to grow. I mean, on that day, uh, uh, on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people responded to their message. That was powerful. But even after that, it was the Spirit continuing to move in them as the church continued to grow. Look in verses, verse 47 at the end of it. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Every single day, the Lord added to their number. That's the Holy Spirit giving them strength and working in the lives of people who are being called. The Holy Spirit comforting them, strengthening them. This is exactly what Jesus told his disciples would happen after he left. In John 14, uh, beginning in verse 26, we read this. But the advocate 
the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. This is right after Jesus has told the disciples, hey, I'm not going to be with you forever. They didn't want to hear it, but he explained to them, listen, an advocate is coming. Now that word translated advocate literally means called to one side. I love that image. Called to one's aid, it can also mean. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes alongside us, even lifts us up at times. In John 16, just a couple of chapters later, we read Jesus' words again as he reminds his disciples, but very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go, the advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me. About righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment because the prince of the world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. So Jesus taught his disciples that they would be able to rely upon the Holy Spirit. The disciples could see how much they needed the Holy Spirit, and the work that they had to do, but also in their personal efforts to live a holy life. Friends, when we are the survivors, whether we've lost a loved one or we've suffered through some tragedy, the Holy Spirit is the one called to our side. He is the one who comforts us in times of trouble. A friend of mine shared a tragic story about his life. When he was just 10 years old, his mother committed suicide. His father had abused her and she was more afraid of living than dying. That's got to be a very dark place. He and his three siblings struggled with her loss, as you can imagine. But over time, he was able to overcome, uh, not that he doesn't feel the sorrow from it, but God has helped him to have hope. But his siblings still struggle, even after 50 years. One brother is homeless. One, one brother sought to fill the void through pornography and some other illicit means. His sister struggled with relationships for years, even giving up her children uh, for a man. But my friend has had his struggles, but he shared that having faith and a purpose bigger than himself helped him to rise above the hurt and that pain. He also discovered that the relationships he developed with Christian brothers and sisters was key. The love and the accountability formed helped him to uh, grow that hope that he had. 
But the Holy Spirit was the biggest key. And I'm reminded of some scriptures. And I want to leave you with these today. Jeremiah 17, 7, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose hope the Lord is. Psalm 34, 4, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Romans 5, 5, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Friend, whatever you are struggling with, God provides hope for you. He provides hope for the weary. He provides hope for the broken. He provides hope for the underdog. He provides hope for the doubter. And he provides hope for the survivors. Father, we give you glory and praise for loving us and providing for us. We thank you, Father, that even as we have struggled and survived, your spirit will help us move forward in life. I pray for those who are here today who are still struggling with life. They can't seem to let go of that pain. It seems to dominate them and cause them even more and more grief. They've experienced loss. They've survived some tragedy thanks to your grace, but they're still stuck in the past with that. Father, help them to move forward. Help them to forgive themselves or others if necessary. Help them to seek that higher purpose. Help them to get refocused and discover relationships that will mend their hearts. And may we all rely on your spirit to bring comfort and peace. And as your word says, Father, I leave this blessing to my brothers and sisters in Christ. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.